0: This is a Saltile Media original podcast. Hello, welcome to the Ireland podcast. This is Fender Jackson. This week's guest is Kevin Burke, the master fiddle player, Kevin Burke, according to Wikipedia. Whenever one reads a description like that, one feels compelled as an interviewer to dive deep into the psyche and the experience and the training of what it takes to become a master fiddle player. So that was my mission in this week's episode. Kevin's really been at the forefront of traditional Irish music for about five decades. He's performed and recorded with the Bossy band, Patrick Street, Celtic Fiddle Festival, Paul Brady, Michael O'Donnell, Jackie Daly, Chrissy Moore, and the Irvine. The list goes on and on. This is, I hope, Part one of many recordings, because his career is so rich and so long. Kevin arrived, he was en route from, I think, Ennis to his home in Mayo, and he was supposed to have some food with me, but you know what, we were talking for about an hour and a half before I even turned on the microphone. We are having such good fun. And then, just before I did hit record, I asked him, how much longer have you got left? He said, probably about 10 minutes. He was joking, of course. Kevin's got a real impish sense of humor I would describe it as. Let me Google impish. Inclined to do slightly naughty things for fun. Mischievous. Yes, that's Kevin Burke. Uh, Kevin was great fun and I'm so glad that he didn't hold back in any of his secrets in terms of how he got to become who he is. I need to state that there is no warm-up in this recording. So you can hear Kevin getting his fiddle out of the case. And usually whenever someone's committing to record or a performance they rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and before they go on stage for example they're warming up a lot also I should say about the music he is playing these tunes that he's not played for a long long time a lot of them so there's that added layer of uncertainty on top of it as well so yeah you'll see that it's not quite finished what he's doing here and um, he said so afterwards and throughout (laughs) so it's important to listen to this with that in your minds but you still hear his brilliance of course you can also hear my concern that he gets home safely he did get home safely I'm glad to say his drive was a little bit treacherous actually because there was not only the the setting sun but also a fair amount of fog but anyway he made it home safe that's good so let's go straight to that conversation band give me a big kevin burke and john brennan style finish (laughs) this is the ireland podcast
1: hello who are you and what do you do Well, Fender, my name is Kevin Burke, and I play the fiddle. And I've been living in America for over 40 years, but I grew up in London, Irish parents, Sligo parents, moved to Ireland in the 70s, and then I moved to America in 1980, and now I'm kind of edging my way back. Where's home? Um, Officially Portland, Oregon. Uh, that's where I've been living since I moved to America. Uh, but just before the pandemic, I got myself a little house up in Mayo, uh, and I'm spending a lot more time there um, than I. Um, sorry, I spent a lot more time. I'm spending a lot more time in Ireland than I have done the last forty years, because I now have a little base there. But um, officially, I'm still living in Portland. So what made you
0: choose Mayo? Um, That's south of the border for you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, uh, oh, I it was mainly the house. Uh, it ticked a lot of boxes. You so know. You're,
0: you're looking in Sligo as well. Actually. Yeah, I was
1: looking in lots of places. Okay. I was looking in Clare and uh, I looked in around Leitrim and Sligo mainly but i found this place in in uh, mayo that suited me a lot of the houses i looked at came like in my budget which is not very high <laughs> uh a lot of the houses i looked at uh, were in uh, serious need of repair and came with a, a large amount of land you know like 2 or 3 acres But the house was a semi-ruin, you know, and I didn't want that. I wanted a house in pretty good shape uh, with not much land. I didn't want to be buying land. I'm not a farmer, you know. So I ended up with a place that's got three quarters of an acre Um, and most of it's just let run wild, you know. And the house was structurally sound and in a nice place. It's quiet and so, and I could afford it.
0: And where was it that you wanted to be near? So I'm thinking about cities. I just wanted
1: to be in the West of Ireland so that when I, see, uh, since I moved to America, I've been coming back to Ireland, but it's always based on, on, uh, on work really. You know, if I, if I have a bunch of gigs to do, I'd stay for a few weeks. But if I, if I have only a couple of gigs, I might only stay five days, you know, and, also, coming to Ireland and working uh, doesn't give me much time to actually enjoy being in Ireland, just feeling close to the place. But now that I have a little house, I can come over for a month and maybe only have two or three gigs mm-hmm. and spend the time pottering around and visiting friends, and, you know, it's much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, um because uh you know when I come over before I'd be staying in hotels or I'd be staying in people's houses and you know they were always you know my friends were always very welcoming and hospitable but nothing like your own beds yeah exactly it's and uh, you know I I feel I'm imposing on them mm-hmm. and eventually it's a bit much you know so having my own place I just thought was great you know so I'm hoping that uh, it'll become a permanent thing eventually. Oh, okay. But my, my wife is still in Portland, and she's um, got an elderly mother. She's looking after her mother, so she's not in a position to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm over and back at the moment, but I'm hoping in the future uh, I'll be over and more over and less back. <laughs> <laughs> so where were you born? London, so, uh, Hackney. Hackney, mate. Hackney, yeah. yeah. East End of London. Oh, but, is that Homerton Hospital? No, it was Hackney Hospital. Okay. Oh, sorry, Hackney Hospital. Hackney Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not down now. It's gone. I used to live in Hackney Road. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you know, Columbia Road Flower Market.
1: No, uh, I didn't grow up in Hackney. Okay. I was born there. Yeah. I grew up south of the river. Okay. Charlton, Greenwich, oh, Blackheath. Yeah, Blackheath, Black, Blackheath, Eve. Blackheath. Eve, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, what was life like for you back there in South London?
1: Um, I was an only child, uh, which uh, I think I felt a bit lonely. But it also ignited a a curiosity, like self-preservation. I had to find ways of not feeling lonely, Mm -hmm. things that would interest me. Um, And I I didn't have brothers and sisters to, to lead me on into things. I had to kind of work them out for myself, discover them myself. So I think that encouraged my curiosity. But then when I was 13, uh, I had a sister. Oh. Okay. And then after the sister I had two more brothers. <laughs> so when I was say 17, 18, there were three toddlers in the house, uh-huh. you know. So I was more like an uncle than a brother really. Yeah. Um my parents were both Irish people. Sligo people, they didn't play music, but they loved traditional music. Mm. So it was always on in the house for records and people coming to visit and play, and we'd have sessions in the house and, um, you know, quiet sessions, not rip roaring parties. Just one or two people would show up, and maybe they'd sing a song, we'd have a few cups of tea, and there'd be gossip about people at home and will you give us a tune? You know, if it was a husband and wife, maybe one had played the fiddle and one played the flute or something like that. So um, quite sedate sessions. My parents didn't drink mm-hmm. uh, alcohol very much, so um, they, they'd they have something for visitors probably, but it, was, it wasn't like a boozy, wild party thing. Mm-hmm. It was quite sedate, but lots of music, lots of music. And I, I was probably nine or ten before... I found out that wasn't normal in South London. (laughs) (laughs) I thought everyone lived like that, you know. Um, They sent me to music lessons. There was a woman down the street. So so before they
0: sent you to music lessons, did you pick up an instrument? No. So, So your first exposure to a musical instrument was at the music lessons? Yeah. And what age, you were nine, you said? I was seven. Sorry, seven, okay. Yeah. And was it the fiddle? Yeah. Okay, so
1: talk about that. Um, yeah, my parents, uh, not being musicians, wanted me to develop an ability to play Irish music, but they didn't know how to go about that. And most of the people they knew, they felt either weren't able to teach or weren't in a position to be able to teach. So they discovered there was a classical teacher at the end of our street And she, uh, they they thought she could teach me about the instrument and I could learn about the music by going to visit their friends and go to different sessions in pubs and Kaylee dances and stuff. And that's more or less what happened. I I studied with her till I was about 18. I was doing grade 6, I think, or grade 8. You know, so I was... In, in student terms I was fairly advanced but I, I, I never really once I passed let will say 15, 16 the classical music became more and more of a chore and of course I was also beginning to realise what fun could be had playing Irish music and hanging out with the, the Irish people in the pubs and it was much more sociable and much more fun, whereas the classical music was very academic, and uh, you know the, the atmosphere around it was very studious, and I got bored with it.
0: So, whenever you're learning the classical, would you veer off? Would you be playing along with music that you heard on records, or the?
1: Or, yeah, you know? oh yeah, totally. I mean, all all, all the while, or just yeah, towards all the, the end? time. Okay. Like I, you know, when I was when I was eight, we'll say. I started to be able to play baby tunes, you know, nursery rhymes, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know, maybe some Christmas carols. And uh, I was beginning to be able to play a tune. And my parents said to the teacher, Can you teach him some Irish tunes? So she said, Sure, but I don't know any Irish tunes. You'll have to get me a book. So my parents, uh, gave her gave me a book and I brought it down and she started teaching me what was in the book, you know. Um the book was Alan's Irish fiddler. And there were a lot of the standard tunes that you know Sligo Maid and Connemara kind of Moon's Ramblers and you know typical traditional diet, uh traditional repertoire, you know. So she taught me a bunch of those tunes. But um to my parents' ear, they didn't sound right. Um Mechanical. Yeah, there was something wrong. And but not being musicians, they didn't know how to describe what was wrong or how to fix it. They just said it's that's not right. And the more I practiced, it's almost like the worse it got. Yes. So they brought the teacher up to the house, played her a few records, and said you know, he's playing the kind of and it sounds like that. But we expect it to sound like this. And she says, well, that's not what's written in the book. If you give me a book with that written in it, I'll teach him that. So that was a big revelation for me, because I thought if I just kept playing what she told me, the way she told me, you would get did there. it often enough, eventually it would sound like what I was hearing on the record. Yeah. But you know, that conversation made me realize, oh, I have to I have to translate uh-huh. what I'm reading into a different thing to become something that I'm playing. And then I thought, oh, well, that's just like that's just like reading a book. You know, you, you, when you when you when you start to read out loud, you might say things like um, the you know, if there's a book about the sea, you might know, say the captain boarded the ship and he had a crew of twenty two sailors and they went. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: of course, if you're actually saying that to somebody, you say, "Well, the captain boarded mm-hmm. the ship and he had a crew of twenty two, twenty two sailors on the ship." You know. It's a different way of making use of those words. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's how the music is. You read these notes like you'd read the words, the captain boarded the ship, but you don't say it like that. Mm-hmm. You use those like the captain boarded the ship. And you, you might say the captain boarded the ship, meaning he didn't board the rowing boat, he boarded the ship. Or you might say the captain boarded the ship as opposed to the the boatswain mm-hmm. boarding the ship. You know, where you emphasise things changes the meaning. And I found out music is like that too.
0: So what age were you whenever that was happening?
1: I'd say 10,
0: wow, 11. So the book appeared between 8 and 10 sometime?
1: The book appeared when I was about eight, hmm. and when it was about so nine... So you went
0: straight into the book, pretty much. Yeah,
1: when I started, you know, I started playing uh, when I, I think a, a few, about a month or two before my eighth birthday. Okay. So I was seven. Yeah. But it took me a couple of months, you know, just how do you hold the thing? The, the, you know, what are the names of the strings? Yeah. How to read music, you know? Mm. Um and I, I just, I just be playing basic notes, you know, um, and then I graduated to a tune like "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," um, and then I had four or five more tunes. So it was probably about a year. Mm. And I, someone said, you know, my parents probably said, can you, can you play a jig, you know? So I started playing the jig under the tutelage of my music teacher who didn't really know what a jig was. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Maybe that'll ooh. be yeah,
2: yeah.
0: that'll be there. Wow, we're getting the fiddle out. Yeah. And this fiddle is from Dublin but made by the Dutchman. By the D- Dutchman. Yeah, yeah. And the and the bow is made by your brother.
1: Made by my brother, my fifteen years younger than me, brother. Oh yeah, that
0: little toddler guy. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Noel. Hi Noel. <laughs> I knew that actually. So, um, let me move the fiddle, or oh, sorry, the bag. didn't want to open this
2: window.
1: Open the window,
0: are you okay? Oh, great, yeah. I just uh, do a level check there.
1: So my music teacher, Jessie was her name, Jessie Christofferson. She'd put the book up in front of me and say, uh, "Okay, um what's the first note?" and I'd say, "F sharp. What's the second note?" "A. What's the next note?" "A." You know, and we'd go through it like that and then she'd, she'd maybe play it on the piano for me uh, and then get me to play it. And I'd go And she said, very good, now do it that again, and I go. (laughs) So it was a bit of a shock to find out that (laughs) was different. Yes. And it was to do with the way it was written and the way it was pronounced. And then when I, when I, you know, after a while, I found out it wasn't simply the accent, if you like. It, it was, um, you know, you might play the first time and you might play. You'd put in other notes that weren't written at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or you might leave out a few notes that are actually written. You know, it was quite acceptable to, to play instead of...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I've, I realised this idea of translating it yeah. um, meant there was a bit of liberty. Well, it wasn't actually liberty. You were obliged to translate it, or else it wasn't going to sound like Irish music.
0: Is that one of the tunes that you actually learned?
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I'm. I'm guessing because that's kind of a typical starter tune. Probably the first tune I ever learned was uh, something like that. And again, it's typically written like that, but when it's played, it's uh, instead of... You swing it a bit. Yeah. And the convention is you just write it straight because it's too messy if you put a dot on a book on every note. You know, it's hard to read. So it's supposed to...
0: You've got a face of joy playing that. <laughs> after I mean, do I say your age? Uh, you know, sixty plus years. Uh, you, you, is your joy? What would explain your joy? Why is your smile? Right now, something? I'm
1: thinking of my seven year old self. Self in in Jessie's room, uh-huh. and uh, you know, she was a really unusual woman. Like very wealthy, uh, very British, you know, child of the empire, you know, old, old woman. She always reminded me of Miss Havisham from Great Expectations and the house was big and dark and really imposing. But she loved the idea of me playing Irish music. And most classical people at the time... Uh, regarded fiddling as kind of trash, you know. But she was really supportive. There was, there was no hesitation. It wasn't like, well, that's not really proper music. That, that attitude was not there. To the extent... I remember she held my lesson back one day because she was listening to the radio. They were playing the hit parade and she wanted to hear the new Who singer, mm-hmm. And they used to play the hit parade backwards, you know, what came in at number 10, number 9, mm-hmm. number... The Who record came in at number 2, so she had to listen to almost to the end of the program to hear it. And she kept me waiting so she could hear the new Who singer. You know, this is like a 75-year-old Victorian woman. Wow. And I remember her arguing with other parents, you know, they the young people today, they they don't need us. They're making their own music. It's fantastic, you know. She loved what the Beatles were doing and the Kinks and Manfred Mann and all those people. She thought it was great. Do you and remember the, what that Who song was? Uh, Substitute. Oh, okay. I was born Only with a plastic, plastic spoon in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember it well, yeah.
0: But the basil, for example, in my generation, if if you're if you need convincing about the musicality of that band, just listen to My Generation. I mean, the, the structure, the arrangement, the performance.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was teaching the classical and trad yeah. effectively well actually she didn't teach me much more with the traditional music because we 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 didn't have a you know there isn't a book mm. with it written out in a way that you can actually play it properly mm-hmm. uh, unless you know what it sounds like already mm-hmm. and she didn't know what it sounded like really so um, the book wasn't giving her what she needed to give me. Mm-hmm. So I I just learned the Irish music through hanging out with Irish musicians in London.
0: So, but the classical parts that she did teach you, I'm interested in how much of that kept, how much of that stayed with you?
1: I really don't know. I mean, I I never really separated them. It wasn't like a... It wasn't that compartmentalised.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like it's all one big tune. And Mendelssohn's tune goes like this. And Bobby Casey's tune goes like that.
0: I guess the reason why I'm asking you this is because... Do, do you know Sean Maguire? Or did you know Sean Maguire? Yeah, you...
1: oh, well, yeah. yeah.
0: So I saw him in Belfast and in the 1990s, just before he passed away. There was... I think, three of them on stage. There was certainly a guitarist and Sean Maguire. I can't remember where it was, third instrument. Um, and Sean was playing classical, trad, and gypsy jazz. And there's th- those three elements I saw interweave throughout the whole night. And now here we are, 25 years later, and it still sits with me as one of my favorite gigs of all time. Yeah. You've got a smirk. What are you thinking?
1: Um well, you reminded me of, 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 you know, his big tune was The Mason's Apron, and there's one particular version of it where he has the the little bit of, I don't know, bluegrass in it, and I'm trying to think, could I play it? Go for it. I don't... What well, could go wrong? I'd have to remember it, yeah, exactly, <laughs> what could go wrong? Um, but... like, I, I, the. The Sean Maguire version of Miss McLeod uh, of Mason's Apron was very popular, and c- it's kind of cheesy. It's very flashy, um, and people were trying to imitate it all over the place. And I, I kind of shied away from it. And then I heard this guy Paddy Kiloran, who I was a huge fan of, a Sligo fiddle player called Paddy Kiloran. I heard him playing the Mason's Apron, and it was. The Mason's Apron before Sean McGuire got hold of it. Very simple, easygoing kind of a tune. So I learnt that version. I used to play that for years. And then Maguire started doing things like very busy yes and, yeah. and like I said kind of shy like that yeah. that kind of a Ron yeah, yeah you'd hardly ever hear that in a traditional tune yeah. especially the kind of traditional music I was listening to mm.
0: as funny as you're playing it I, I'm being transported back to that gig again yeah you yeah. know
1: it was well, I mean, kind of there was one bit I'd love to be having like, if I had five minutes to listen to the record I'd probably get it but uh um. Wouldn't be able to think of it. Yeah. but um, he got a lot of these kind of tricks. Yeah, that's a horrible word. They're not tricks; they're musical constructs. Yes, that he would include from different styles, like you say, from gypsy jazz. Mm-hmm. Little moves, you'd recognise it right away. That's a, that's a bluegrass mm-hmm. uh, item, you know, and he he'd include it in yeah. places. So just as he was
0: pulling. I'm sorry to you know, go down this rabbit hole so much, but um, actually, I'm not that sorry. <laughs> but as he was pulling in gypsy jazz and classical at, with the trad, how much of that do you do? Um, well, particularly with the classical?
2: Well, you see, I have a way of playing. And I, I, I I
1: think, I think I'm right in saying it's my way of playing. And if I play a classical tune, or a bluegrass tune, or a Venezuelan waltz, it still sounds like me. It sounds like some Irish bloke playing a Venezuelan tune. You know, like I heard BB King being interviewed, you know, the famous blues yeah, guitarist. Yeah. And he was asked a question a bit like that, you know, and he says, well, you know, I just play like B.B. King playing the blues. He says, whatever I play, it sounds like B.B. King playing the blues. He says, if I played Happy Birthday for you right now, it's still going to sound like B.B. King playing the blues. And I thought, you know, I feel a bit like that too. Yeah. Um Like I, I put... I again i don't know if i could remember this um i recorded some back tunes on a record you know, a few years ago i i'll just play a little bit that i can remember um I mean, it's obviously Bach, but it doesn't sound like your typical Bach stylist.
0: If if that was played in a session, you could say it's obviously trad as well. Yeah. The way it's played. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want to to play your Carolyn's I was about to say, your from concerto. It's it's obviously a classical piece, but it's not really um, a classical player.
0: Do you think that's a classical piece?
1: Yeah, I would. I would put it in that category. You know, baroque style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, there's a French waltz that a friend of mine wrote. doesn't sound like an Irish tune but um, it does sound like me playing it
0: yeah
1: you know so it's it's almost like I, I what I try to do is let the tune do the work for me yeah and I just I, I just try and let the tune speak for itself do you know I know I mean, we're kind of talking semantics and I'm using different techniques that I might use if I was playing an Irish tune but I might not. A
0: friend of mine called Eugene from County Tyrone, Dun- Dungannon, Eugene Hamill. Mm-hmm. Hello, Eugene. He came up with this saying again about twenty-five years ago. It was a bit of a revelation for me. He says, "You walk like your old boy." <laughs> in other words, one walks like one's parent. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that phrase is stuck in my mind whenever you're talking about the way you play your music, whatever the music is it still sounds like P.B. King playing guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. See, I kind of feel like that. And I know there's no way I'm trying to present. If I play a classical piece, I don't change my technique that much, but I would draw, I might, it's like I'd use a slightly different vocabulary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you're, if you're trying to impress someone at a job interview, you probably don't, talk the same as when you're down the pub talking with your mates you know um but it, you're, it's still you talking mm-hmm. and it, it's unmistakably you but it it alters slightly given the situation so my music is a bit like that it's still me but it, uh it, i have to alter it to suit the situation So if that situation is back or if it's a, a, a Cajun tune, I alter things a bit.
0: And would you, bearing that in mind, would you actually change your playing per the venue, per the audience?
1: Not so much, no. Again, you see, it's not me that's on display. It's the music that's on display. And I have to do what I think. Well, first of all, I have to do what I can. uh, And I have to do with what I can. I have to try and make this music hit the people in the way that it hit me. Mm -hmm. Allow it to do its thing. It's not me doing my thing. It's the music doing its thing. So I just kind of. Open, open the open the door and let it out, you know. <laughs> That's the way it kind of feels. It's not it's not me doing it. It's there anyway, whether I play it or not. I just happen to have to open the right door and it comes out, you know, on its own. It comes charging out. But, that, you know, again, we're talking semantics and attitude. It's not, you know, it's... We're talking a very fine line there. But I was, I was just thinking... There's there's a famous tune called Miss McLeod's Reel. You probably know that tune, and it, when I heard it first, it was played in in the, in the key of G. early typical way of playing it um then there's a great accordion player Jackie Daly he used to play it in A Play it much the same way, but use two strings instead of one. Now it sounds kind of Cajun. Nothing has changed except adding a string and maybe tweaking it a little, exaggerating things a little, highlighting things a little. But it sounds very different from where we started. But it's me doing it all. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: and what's your preference in that tune, for example?
1: Oh, I'd I like them all,
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you don't have a preference for, oh, I want to play it in A, I want to make it more cajun E or...?
1: Well, again, you know, it depends on the mood. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, again, when you're with your friends, you might decide this is a good time to tell a joke, and they yeah. think, oh, well, I better not tell that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I could tell you that other one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's <laughs> like some, sometimes the Cajun thing feels appropriate, and sometimes it feels completely wrong. Yeah, yeah. You just pick and choose like you would when you're talking with people you
0: know and I'm going down my own rabbit hole here now because G and A both use a fair deal of open strings
1: what are we playing on B flat I can't really do that why because you don't have access to the open strings so you need not
0: you need you prefer the open strings to make yeah. it and the, the
1: you know in the, in the style that I play like I could learn a tune in Mm B-flat. I'd have to practice it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fingering would be unusual for me, but I could do it because I had all this classical training. In fact, uh, I went to Denmark uh, to play in the theatre. They were doing a production of The Hostage, Brendan Behan's play, uh, in Danish. Uh, And there were lots of songs in the production And these actors were not really singers, you know, so they didn't have much of a range. So we ended up having to play in a lot of awkward keys or keys that for me would, for a traditional fiddle player, would be considered awkward.
0: They suit the vocal range of the of the actor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I was able to do it Mm. Um, roughly, you Mm. know. My friend who was playing flute, open-hauled flute, he couldn't do it because the notes just weren't really there on his instrument. So what did he do? Did he not he play He bought it? a silver flute and taught, him how to pl- taught himself how to play a keyed flute. And it took a mammoth amount of work on his behalf, but he did it, you know. Uh, and it was, it was slightly awkward for me, but I, w- I was able to get there you know, say in a week, whereas it took him a month because mm-hmm. he was playing a completely different instrument, a completely different style. Um, so, I, I was playing recently with Andy Irvin and Paul Brady, and some of the some of the keys have changed over time because they've gotten older. Yeah, and voices got- changed. Okay. Or they've decided it's it suits the instrument better if I sing it in this key or. It suits this type of tune. So anyway, uh, I was I was able to play, um, let's say, it used to be in G, now it's in F. I was able to play it in F, but it sounded very violin-y mm. because the notes fall in different places. It didn't sound like a fiddle anymore. <laughs> it sounded like a classical guy playing single notes, Little bit of vibrato more than you'd not, like you can't vibrate you can't use vibrato on an open string mm-hmm. but you you use them on the fingered notes you use the vibrato a bit more um especially in classical music, like in classical music they advise you to not use the open strings at all because oh. you can't use vibrato, so you would you, you would substitute a fingered note for the open string um but if I, if I was playing in B-flat, there'd be no open strings at all. So a, a sound like... Oops, sorry. You can't make that kind of noise, you know. It's just... Uh, you can't, it's hard to really accompany it. And get the same effect. It's it sounds it's a different sound, yeah. and it didn't really suit what the, the the way the songs used to sound when we recorded them. You know, yeah. So I ended up playing a few different fiddles. I had three different fiddles, yeah, to, tuned differently to match the the keys. And are they all the same size? Oh yeah, they were all conventional instruments. Just a, I dropped the. Uh, I think I had one tuned half a note high so I could play in E flat instead of D, you yeah. know, and I had another one dropped down so I could, I could play in F instead of G.
0: And same strings? or Same you, type of string, You yeah. wouldn't use a different gauge? No, no. Okay. I'm really loving this chat, and I'm looking at the clock now. We're in 40 minutes, but the thing is, the one I'm thinking, Kevin... Huh? Is, don't what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is, if you don't mind, this could be part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we yeah. could do part two, part three, part one. <laughs> as many times as you want to come around here. Yeah. And we can keep going. Yeah. Well, so we can carry on now
1: for a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We go. Well, I, I'm just thinking about the, the sun going down. All oh, the rest. yeah. So,
1: so um, I'm only an hour and a half away. Yeah. Sorry, but I don't
0: want you driving back too dark. Enough. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, because I did want to go through your discography, but the thing is, we're not, we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, okay. So we'll do that again. Yeah. I want to go back to your childhood. I want to go back to, you, you went to grade six. That's Chinese, by the way. Six, yeah. you went to grade six.
1: I th- I th- I'm not sure. It was either six or eight. Okay, but eight's the top, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think, I think eight is pre... I went to kind of pre... University level, hmm. you know, whatever would be the, you know, the equivalent of A level. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know what like the equivalent of your leaving. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I have a feeling it was great. I, I was the last thing I was doing, and I never did it very well. Uh, was Mendelssohn's Concerto in E minor? That was the the. That's when I left. Uh-huh. When I was trying to play that, why, why, what
0: was what was it about that piece that that you didn't do very well?
1: Oh, it was just uh, too hard for me, and I didn't work at it. Uh-huh. I was beginning to fade away at that time, but uh-huh. I still love it. Uh-huh. One of my favorite records is Yehudi Menuhin playing that, and you know I met this violinist. Gilles Pellet. Now he's he's like the other side of me. He's a classical player, but he loves the traditional music and plays quite a bit of it. Uh, And he loves jazz and any style of music. He's he's in on it. Um, But he he uh, I was telling him that was one of my favorite records. Um, You heard him in playing the Mendelssohn Concerto. And he goes, oh, yeah, and the Brook Concerto on the other side. I said, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the same record. He knew it right away, you know, Uh, because one side of the album was, you know, I'm going back to the days when we had two-sided albums. One side was the Mendelssohn, the other side was the Brook. It was great, you know. And Gilles, we were talking about it in in a van. We were driving off to a gig somewhere. And uh, next thing... uh, he was sitting in the back and the next thing I heard him play in the Mendelssohn Concerto Wow! and he says, we'll have the Brook Concerto on the, on the way back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's great.
0: That's brilliant. Did he play the whole way through?
1: Yeah. Oh, note for note. No, I mean, that's his, his, bag. That's his repertoire.
0: Like. Mm. So speaking of repertoires and uh, genres and all the rest, whenever you're doing your grade six or eight whatever it was and you're playing trad were you also playing along with pop songs like the who or whatever
1: not so much why was that then um I didn't I didn't really understand chords like and co- chords on a fiddle don't really work like they do on a guitar mm.
0: um but even just play along with the melody or something
1: uh, yeah
0: or the riff yeah
1: uh, yeah Boom, 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 boom. boom. You know, I used to, I used to listen to a lot of Motown, partly because they had a string section. Yeah. You know, and I, um, I listened a lot to people like Peter Green, uh, Jimi Hendrix, of course, and I think the attraction there was, uh, it was a lot more single string playing than the likes of Pete Townsend. You know, the, Pete, Pete Townsend Cordle. was a chord guy. Mm. Whereas uh, Peter Green and Hendrix, they're very lyrical, melody-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter Green wasn't Fleetwood Mac, is that right? He started Fleetwood Mac, yeah. yeah. Wow, he was the lead.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, you've been playing along with Fleetwood Mac then.
1: Uh, yeah, when no one was listening, kind of thing. You know, <laughs> playing along with the record and like uh, I did. I did a record. Um, the same record with the Bach Minuets, uh-huh. uh, it's called the Pound Ridge Sessions. Uh-huh. And I might, I might have, do, do you ever use download cards? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's, uh, you can, you can uh, key in the code and download the album. Okay, right, know. yeah. Um, I might have a copy okay. in the car. Okay. Uh, I'll have a look. And if I don't, I'm almost sure I've got the download card. Oh, that'd be better,
0: because people give me CDs. I haven't got a CD player. Yeah, that, that's no. why
1: I mentioned the card. Yeah, I yeah. guess you might not have a CD yeah, player. Right. So, um, yeah, we'll have a look. Mm. Thank but, you. But um, I, I did this album with a great electric guitar player in uh, America. And he's from the West Coast, but he lives on the East Coast. Who's he? John Brennan is his name. He used to... He used to play like he went to school with Bernie Ledden from the Eagles, and he he played with the Chris Hillman band, and he played uh, with Poco a band called Poco. So it's very much that West Coast style of playing, you know, early eighties rock yeah. player. But we were having dinner one night, and Hendrix came up, and uh, he said, "The uh, oh yeah, I lo- I I love that first album." I said, "Yeah, I me, mean, I I always loved the." The guitar break on on may this be love, or some people call it waterfall but um, um, we was, we were saying how much we' both enjoyed the guitar break, not so much the song but the guitar break, the melodic quality of the guitar break, the guitar solo, so we decided to record it like we ditched the song mm. and just took the the guitar solo and fleshed it out into a piece of music on its own you know Um, so that's on the record you know brilliant and I love it do you want want to play it? I couldn't play it without the it's too orchestrated okay yeah yeah um but uh I bet you'll get a kick out of it when you hear it yeah
0: I'm thinking about Frank Zappa's version of uh, Stairway to Heaven," and the guitar solo at the end is arranged for brass.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't. I, I, I never listened to Zappa much. Yeah. Not for any reason other than there's too much music. I out haven't there. listened to it much.
0: Can you play any fluted back on the fiddle?
1: No. No. Um, I might be able to remember a, a Jethro Tull piece I used to play, or try to play. Serenade to a Cuckoo.
0: You're smirking again, so I assume that you're being transported to that younger... Yeah,
1: I used to go see Jethro Tull all the time. Yeah.
0: One other artist... Sorry, go ahead.
1: Another thing on that record... um, If I can remember it. I had a a record called Blue Room Blues. Two guitars, Lonnie Johnson and Eddie Lang. And it's like from the 30s. It's like pre-Jangle. Uh, jazz blues guys and there was the title track i think was blue room blues and uh i always loved it and of course playing with john i brought that up he says oh yeah let's do that one too but with the electric guitar and the fiddle it's it's it came out sounding a bit more country than blues um can't really remember
0: it what, what would you what what does it take for the fiddle to sound bluesy
1: well those kind of slithery notes you know
0: so it's a blues note
1: yeah is that flattened fifth is it? uh well i i don't know
0: no it's a minor it's a it's a it's a third i think
1: to me that's kind of an expression rather than a, an interview you know um you don't know I that. could play... Um, or I could play... Mm-hmm. It's still E, F, G, you know. And then, you know, you often hear notes going up, uh, sliding up. But in the blues, you often hear notes coming back down, you know. Gives it kind of a whimpering sound. And I I would put that in some of the Irish tunes, like... So I slid up to that note. next time I slide down from it uh-huh. you know so you've got and <laughs> you've know, got down from the note um and whatever is appropriate kind of just to make it but that that kind of thing is bluesy to me so it's interesting I listen to Robert Johnson yeah the bottleneck guitar yeah that you know, They sometimes overshoot the note and have to slide back to it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of got that sound from.
0: You know what Miles Davis said about hitting the wrong note? No. Hit it again. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got a point. Miles had a lot of points. <laughs> yeah. I remember... Who was the great guy who used to play the uh, bird? Parker. Charlie Charlie, Charlie Parker. Parker. He was known for these really. I know no, you're thinking stuff. John Coltrane. Was it John
0: Coltrane? Well, was John, well he could have been playing the Parker actually. I don't know, but he certainly played with Coltrane. Coltrane's a guy who played loads of notes, whereas Miles Davis played less. And then um, Coltrane said to Davis one time, "You know, I just can't stop playing all these notes," and Miles Davis said. Try taking it out of your mouth. Yeah,
1: that's that's exactly the story. I was. Oh, you're going to say it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly, it. and that was that was called Train. Yeah, that yeah, was John yeah. coltrane Yeah, I like that. Just take it out of your mouth. <laughs> it's like the famous Olivier story of I don't know who he was working with, but the, his partner in the movie or in the play was hesitating because he couldn't quite get into the role. You know, he had to live the role, experience the role, dig deeper to find the... And Olivia says, well, you could try acting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love that kind of thing, you know, the yeah. stating the obvious.
0: I love that uh, there's a great producer, you may have heard of him, um, Niall Rogers. Uh, he's a guy... He chic. Is, Chic, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And his guitar has generated something like $2 billion worth of music. He's produced everybody from Madonna's Like yeah. a Virgin, In Excess, um, Duran Duran, right up to um, uh, Daft Punk. So his guitar has just been there, the hit maker it's called. Yeah. You know? And um, Miles Davis said to him, uh, it's not the shit that you play, it's the shit that you don't play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I heard the very same thing. From a traditional guy, he was asked what he thought of some young hotshot player, you know, and he says, "Well, if he put in what he left out, and left out what he put in, we'd all be better off." <laughs> it's just the same thing, yeah, really. Your your
0: your book is both original and good. Unfortunately, the original bits were not good, and the good <laughs> bits were not
1: original. <laughs> The best book review I ever heard was uh, once I put it down I couldn't pick it up again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word!
0: Here, uh, Kevin, there's so much I want to ask you, and um, yeah, we've barely we barely got out of your Well, give, give, me you some, give me another one. Give you another one? Well, you know, do you know what's really? Um, struck me as well, is your use of double strings. And I saw in your video, and in fact, let's talk about your video after this question. So you have tuition videos that you have online. you yeah. And you're, I was struck by you're showing people using two strings and then you're saying, be careful not to play them too much or too heavily. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk about that.
1: Well, two strings are louder than one. And... I noticed in America, like, people who wouldn't have grown up with Irish music, but they'd, they'd like to play some, uh, a common thing that you'd hear is something like... Um, we we'll take that tune, for example. Um, there's a note on the bottom which to me and to most Irish players would act like a drone and then on the top and it, it seems your ear hears much more than so the tendency is to play it out and I heard a lot of players going um, which to me, right away, is the, mm. it sounds ugly, you know. Um, so I was thinking, now, what, what, what is the difference? And the difference is playing those notes really quietly and making sure that the bottom note, is like a drone, it's there all the time. You never leave it. So... And then remembering that you're playing on two strings, basically. And the two strings are going to be louder than the one string. So when I get to that passage, I play it quite lightly with the ball. And then when I get to the single string passage, I lean on it a bit. So that lower note when I go to the, I'm playing the two notes together. Which translates into It gives itself a different life altogether, Mm -hmm. you know. It's like the life of the tune comes out. When you do it the other way, it it just seems like consecutive notes.
0: How how much of it do you think is genetic? Being a good player, how much of it is genetic and how much of it is environment?
1: I'd say very little of it is is genetic. (laughs) Very little. I mean there's gotta be some, but I wouldn't say it's much. So what is it then? In- environment. Hard work. I don't I don't think you It's not
0: just hard work though. Uh,
1: well a lot of it is, but what kind of work? Yes. You know, I could I I, I I worked hard, I mean not that hard, but as a child, I I was fairly you know, my parents were pressing me, my teacher was pressing me, so Rather than resist, I thought, yeah, I better go along with it. So I worked harder. Mm -hmm. But that was the wrong thing. I shouldn't have been working on that, you know. Mm. If I wanted it to sound like the way these people who'd come round the house would play, I had to do it differently to make it sound like them, you know. And then, of course, as I got more and more advanced, I found about sliding notes and adding in little runs and rolls and grace notes and all those things, you know.
0: So I'm thinking about parents who are listening, and I'm thinking about them enduring this kid in the corner, starting off with Twinkle Twinkle or Happy Birthday or whatever. How much work do they need to put in? So how much work did you put in?
1: For a, well, the first thing is I think every day is better than a lot of work on every fourth or fifth day. Like five minutes a day is much better than 20 minutes on one day. But really I say a good balance is 20 minutes for a beginner, 20 minutes every day. is plenty. And as they get a bit more advanced, you know, maybe in a half hour and But every day, it's the every day that's important. Like, you learn a lot just by picking it up and putting it down. I also recommend don't put it in the case. Yeah. Leave it out on the table or hanging up on the wall. So, you you know, someone says to you, um, listen, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. While you're waiting for him to call you back, just pick up the fiddle and play a tune or play scales or...
0: And this is for anybody
1: listening it's anybody, not just a yeah. kid yeah yeah, yeah yeah And then you know see when I was when I was doing the baby stuff I was doing my 20 minutes a day and my half hour a day and um my parents would be saying uh come on now, have you have you done your practice today you have to practice every day come on now, get the fiddle do your practice you know and it was like you had to learn how to make your bed and you had to polish your shoes and you had to you know, all this stuff that parents invent to make a child's life miserable, you know. And playing the fiddle is just one of those other on the list, you know. So I'd do my twenty minutes a day. And you know, constant nagging. Have you done have you done have you done your practice today? Come on now, gotta practice every day. And then when I was about fourteen They changed. I didn't change. I was just the same. But I started to hear things like, "How long have you been up there now in your room?" I said, "I don't know." And say, "You know, there's more to life than playing the fiddle. You know, you can't just sit up there all day playing the fiddle." (laughs) It kind of altered, you know. Um. So the interest took over, and I started to. It started to be much richer and important it felt important it felt like it felt vital like it i know this sounds absolutely ridiculous but it it felt this way to me if i was playing a tune and trying to trying to you know trying to get that little bit just right and the roof fell down i'd have to finish that tune before i could tell anyone about the roof or if the house was on fire, I'd have to finish that show before I ran out and yes. screaming fire. You know, it was that important. Now, of course, it's not that important, but it felt that way to me. It was kind of life-threatening.
0: I I've, I have a similar experience. I mean, I used to play, uh, still play bass guitar, but um, and I'm not anywhere near the virtuoso that you are, but... I would neglect food. I would neglect my lunch. I'd be eating my lunch at 3pm. I assume you're the same.
1: Yeah, oh, totally. Not so much now, because I don't think that is wise.
0: So at your peak, how much were you playing? Oh, I'd I'd
1: say eight hours a day was normal. What age? 15, 16. Through to what age? 40. (laughs) Wow. You know, when I was 15, I'd probably wake up and start playing the fiddle. Then I'd be like, you know, have my breakfast. I'd be late for school, maybe skip breakfast. Um, and then I, I remember running home at four o'clock, running, get off the bus and run to the house to get to the fiddle. And I burst in the door and start playing. And sometimes it might be seven o'clock before i stop and my mother'd be yelling at me, Coming at my dinner, it's getting cold, you know. And then I'd finish the dinner and I'd start playing again, it'd be nine o'clock. And then I'd do my homework, you know. So that's now it's midnight. Two or three hours of homework. And then I'd have a few tunes before going to bed, you know. And then on weekends I'd, I'd do that same routine, but I'd, I'd be able to go to a session somewhere. You know, a session that night, you know, the Saturday evening, or um, go and play in a, a dance or Sunday morning sessions. Sunday lunchtime sessions were great in London.
0: And I assume that in your 20s you were working whatever your jobs were. Yeah. How did you fit the playing? Were you still doing the hours and working?
1: Well, I was a student. What did you study? Uh, business studies. As you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was probably eight hours a day when I when I could. Probably been more like four hours a day. When where was I that? was working, you know. Where, where
0: was that university? Uh, Hull. Hull, oh. York, Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah. Windy town with bridges. Yeah. Yeah. So you then would get – you got a job after that?
1: Yeah, I worked in the stock exchange for a while in In London. London. Yeah, as you do. Uh, No, actually, (laughs) I I, um, I went to the stock exchange first. I messed up uh, my university application and wasn't accepted anywhere. So I went to work – I went to get a job and I worked in the stock exchange. And while I was in the Stock Exchange, maybe after 18 months or so, um, this new course opened, this business studies course. And they, they were looking for people like me who had, who had applied, had qualifications, but who, like in those days, I don't know what it's like now, in those days, to get into university, you had to kind of pitch where you wanted to go. So if you if you had mediocre grades, there was no point in applying, applying to Oxford or Cambridge because you had to have really good grades to get in there. I think
0: that's still the case, yeah. And
1: on the other hand, there was there was no point in applying to some polytechnic in Southampton or somewhere if you if you had all A's. They wouldn't accept you either, you know, and I got that where to pitch myself. I got it all wrong and no one would accept me. Uh, So they were looking for students to populate this course and they contacted me and I asked my boss in the stock exchange what he thought and he said, oh, go for it. You know, you're a young man and you can always come back here if you want or you know, but the qualification is a good thing to get. So I went there, but I was only there for a year. I left mutual agreement. We left, <laughs> and and of course, you know, music was getting in the way. Uh, and I, I I got another job. I worked I worked in this uh, in a a record shop for a long time. In London. In London. And I worked uh, for a trade union the National Union of Public Employees. But all the time, music was getting in the way. And then I, I met Arlo Guthrie and I went to America and I uh, did some recording out in Hollywood. In 1972. So- yes, exactly. I think I, was, I was 22.
0: I think we're going to pause there. Okay. Because, do you know what, you've got such a life. And um, we're now at the start of your music. <laughs> You've done the apprenticeship. <laughs> so that will be a great way to start yeah. a future conversation. But before we do finish, you mentioned you wanted to talk about the video.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, when I bought my little cottage in Mayo, I was sitting there one night. And I thought, this is very reminiscent of the kind of house I used to visit with my parents when I'd be over from London, visiting their friends, you know, their schoolboy, schoolchild friends, and other family members, and a lot of a lot of them were musicians. Maybe not great musicians, of course, not professional musicians. You know, apart from Sean Maguire, who you mentioned, there was hardly any professional traditional f- fiddle players. You know. It wasn't regarded as a profession at all. But a lot of these people were, were people who would play music for the crack, you know. And a lot of them were very good and a lot of them weren't. But that wasn't the point that, you know, they were into it and I was into it. My mum and dad were into it. So we'd go visit someone and there'd be all the welcomes and hellos and... How's so-and-so, and how's your sister? Do, or did she she went off to Australia? Well, you know, I remember her when she had her lovely long red hair curls. You know, it'd be all this. And then, the, so do you fancy a tune? You know, Kevin would love to hear you play. Or do you want to hear Kevin play a tune? Why don't you play on that tune you learned yesterday? Um, so there'd be all that kind of stuff going on. And I thought, sitting in the cottage in my eye, I thought, this is the kind of place where that used to happen be great to let it happen again. And then I thought, that'd be a nice thing to see. Because I, 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 you know, I'm into traditional music, but nearly any time I see it on the TV, I don't like it. I don't like the way it looks or the way it sounds. It feels, it's, it, it's not what I love about it. What I love about it doesn't come across typically for me. And I thought, what, what's missing is that interaction between the musicians. Like, what makes a good session a good session is definitely the music, but that's only a part of it. It's an important part, of course, but the way the musicians deal with each other. Why did they play those tunes? You know, is it because someone's father walked in, and the girl playing the flute, learnt the tunes from that guy's father and that's why they want to play him. And that brings a smile to everyone's face who would know it and then someone else would say, why are you, why are you smiling? Well, she learnt those tunes from your manager's work and it, it, that's the kind of joy that happens at a session but doesn't happen on the typical TV show. So I wanted to get some of that on film and I invited... Bunch, I decided to do this six times. I got two musicians to come and visit me in the house and we'd have a chat and a few tunes, a few glasses of wine and we'd talk about why do you play music, what made you want to play music, where are you playing next, what what kind of tunes do you like or when did, when did you stop doing that and started doing this, you know just our gossip, you know. Um, and we filmed it, and the, the job of the crew was to act like they weren't there. So you've recorded the six? Yeah. We, did, we, didn't, we didn't play to the camera at all. There was no... It's completely spontaneous, unrehearsed, totally unrehearsed. Um, there are people I knew... Friends, friends of mine, you know, but I did six episodes uh, or six sessions. The f- um, let's see, there was one with uh, Leonard Barry, great piper, and Mick McCauley. and I, I was trying to pair up people, and I had I had all these people paired off for one reason or another. So, are you
0: thinking about the instrumentation, or are you think about no. the personalities?
1: Personality. Okay. Mick and Leonard were on my list of musicians, but I didn't know. I said, you know maybe they don't even know each other. Maybe they hate each other. I haven't a clue. I've known Mick for a long time, and I knew Leonard. I knew Leonard for a long time, um, but not not as uh, real close friends, you know.
0: So uh, and whenever they rocked up, did they did they know who else was invited? Oh yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, I. I, I I prepared everyone in advance that way, okay. you know, and I asked them, "Would you be interested in playing together? Uh, like, do you do you know Mick? Do you, or a to Mick? Do you know Leonard? You know." Turns out they lived together for years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. But there, yeah, they were old mates from way back. So they had know? the real report. But the other two, like Sean Smith and Sharon Shannon, was one pair. Um, I was at a session or two in Galway City, uh, where they were playing. Uh, went round to Sharon's house, and Sean was there, and we had a few tunes. So, you know, three or four times I met Sharon and Sean playing together, and I thought that they'd be a great couple to bring to the house. Um, Shamey O'Dowd. And Rick Epping, they're both from Sligo, and they like both Joe, Dow- Joe Dowd, Shamey's father, was a big influence on both of them. Uh, when when uh, Rick went to Sligo first from California, he met Joe Dowd, and uh, Joe was very welcoming to these California hippies, like, <laughs> which was not normal, you know. <laughs> Um, So they've known each other for donkey's years, and they're both in Sligo. Um, Mick uh, Mick Kinsler and Josephine Marsh, they're a married couple, Um, and I love both their styles of music, even though it's quite different from each other. Um, Nuala Kennedy, I've been playing with Nuala a bit, and her husband is from Virginia, um, plays banjo and sings American songs. Um, so I thought that would be a nice little combo, you know. Um, John Carty and a woman called Rosaline Stenson. She's yeah. Rosaline Ward now, but I played with both of their fathers. Oh, they uh, they didn't know each other till we till. The the night in the cottage, Um, and that's why I brought them together because I played with John's father in a band in London, and I used to visit Rosaline's father with my mother because my mother grew up just across the fields from John from the the Rosaline's dad. Um. So it's a six session series. And they're all available on Vimeo, pay-per-view. And the easiest way to get there is uh, through my site, kevinburke.com. The, the, there's a news page, and all the info is on the news page. And there, there's a, you don't buy them, you rent them. It's six dollars 99 Much as a
0: paint, I mean, for, uh,
1: for nothing. For a 30-day rental. For all six or for one uh, each? for each one for each one okay, so you get you get to watch one hmm. for a month I agree for six bucks um and the the, the I, I released them one at a time every Friday for six weeks, but now they're all up all yeah. six
0: when up. were these uh filmed? this year about a year ago, okay. So I'll I'll put a link straight to it from my oh, b- uh, bio yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People just go to yeah, you'll be able to see it. Yeah, brilliant, Kevin. We'll stop there then, All right. and uh, it's it's been a total joy to me, listen to on Noel's uh, bow, and, yeah. and uh, we'll talk about the instrument in more detail, and we'll go from 1972 onwards and see how far we get. So until next time, Kevin Burke, go to Mila Mayagat.
1: Falcherov. Slend
0: the foil. (laughs) This has been a Solito Media original podcast
2: and production.